FM 96.3 AM 620. News Talk WVMT. You might as well jump because the water's fine. Come on in. We're on the morning drive here, Kurt and Anthony. And joining us in studio now, it's two Burlington firefighters. Kyle Blake, he is the president of the Burlington Firefighters Association. And Kathy, Kathleen Lamphere, she is uh, in the New North End on Ladder 4, right? Correct. All right. And uh, so we've got a lot of issues to talk uh, about with Kyle and Kathleen. But I want to start and just get some basic information. Um, Kyle, what is it? What do you have to go through? If somebody's listening right now and they're thinking about maybe, hey, maybe I'd like to join the Burlington Fire Department, yeah. what, what's the process? What do you go through? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having us, Kurt and Anthony. We appreciate you reaching out. And uh, the one disclaimer that I always have to lead with is we're here in our capacity of the union. Um, so as we're talking, yes, we're employees of the city of Burlington. We work for the Burlington Fire Department, but we're speaking today as as union members. So always have to just put that out there real quick. Um, if you are interested in becoming a Burlington firefighter, uh, A, keep your eye out for the application process. That's going to open in January. Uh, I think currently we're carrying four vacancies, so we we will be hiring. Um, and you have to have, as of right now, you have to be a state of Vermont licensed EMT or possess your national registry EMT, which will allow you to then become a Vermont EMT. So that is the one uh, true requirement that we currently have. Besides that, we'll teach you everything. Uh, I'm actually detailed to the the training division right now, leading our recruit academy. We uh, give you a firefighter one, firefighter two curriculum. Uh, the six that are in the academy right now just went down to the Vermont Fire Academy, challenged the test. They all passed, 100% pass rate. So they're all certified now as uh, with their fire two certification. So, so to apply, you already have to have the EMT certificate. Cor- correct. Yeah, and we're we're in talks about trying to figure out a way to make that so we can teach that as well because uh, it's not easy to get your EMT in Vermont. No, I was thinking that. Um, you know, I you just I didn't realize that everybody in the fire department had to be an EMT just to apply to be on the fire department. Yeah, just to apply, you have to have that. And additionally, yep. part of our new contract is within two years of getting hired, you have to become an advanced EMT, which is the next level up. And it allows you to do things like start IVs, give certain medications, uh, which is really important for what our job is. Our job is not just fighting fires. It's emergency medical, which yeah. is about 70% of our calls. And we're going to get into that in, yeah, in, there you in, go. deeply uh, in a minute here. Um, just first, though, Kyle, are you... So is the Burlington Fire Department not uh, experiencing the difficulties that the Burlington Police Department has experienced the last few years in terms of recruitment and retention? Uh, <laughs> we are we are similar but different. Uh, it's just it's not the same. I think probably when Kathleen came in, there were probably well over 100 applicants vying for maybe five seats. When I came in, there were, you know, 75, 80 applicants vying for a few seats we're getting applications now in the high teens to 20s, and we've got four vacancies, five vacancies. Uh, we had the potential in this current academy to have seven people. We were just unable to fill that seventh seat because we're not getting the applicants. So, which is why we've sort of retooled how we do it. We'll teach you everything you need to know. What you need to bring to us is a as a an attitude that you want to learn and you're willing to do the job. We'll give you the tools. We'll give you the training. We want people who want to serve the community and are interested in in helping out and learning a, a great job. It's the best job in the world. Love to hear you say that. Love to hear you say that. And uh, 
So let's talk now about what you're facing these days in Burlington, because we know things have changed over the last few years, uh, and we've all read and heard the stories. Um, it's not just fires, it's but you are you are responding to people in in medical distress. I think is the term, right? Yeah. What triggers you having to respond to somebody in medical distress? They is call nine one one. Uh, we are emergency medical response for the city. We we run the ambulances. If you call 911 and request an ambulance, the Burlington Fire Department is who's showing up. So that means if you're at home and your your spouse, your dad, your mom has a heart attack, call 911, we show up. You, you fall on the ice, break your leg, we show up. Uh, now what we're seeing, and I think what you were alluding to a little bit, is this everything to do with... Uh, the opiate epidemic for lack of a better word and what we're seeing with drugs within the city. Um, and it's just very public. Whereas before it wasn't so much out in, uh, the public's eye, we're seeing it in city hall park. We're seeing it in parking garages. We're seeing it on the sidewalks and those people, um, concerned citizens are calling on those people's behalf so we respond and we see if the person is overdosing or not. And are the people that are you're responding to, are they mostly people that are homeless or, or, or not? Uh, it depends on the type of call. Uh, typically, the, the suspected overdoses or the unresponsive person laying on a sidewalk, they usually lack housing, I think, is, is what we're finding. Uh, because I think if they did have housing that's probably where they would be choosing to be. I don't think anyone really wants to be lying on the, the sidewalk in the middle of downtown um, going through withdrawals or, or whatnot. You made a comment that it's shifted because concerned citizens see other people out, but this is work that you are familiar with in in homes. It's just not... It didn't used to be as public, but... but yeah, but, we were, yeah. yeah, talk a little bit about that because that, to me surprised me a little bit yeah uh i mean overdoses and drug use is something that's not new to us like i've been on the department for a little over nine years kathleen's coming up on 13 i think we're used to overdoses we've always had narcan with us we've dealt with it before um whether it's the college student that ate an edible and they weren't ready for it and we show up and yeah bring them up to the hospital um but now it's it's much more uh, what I think we would term hard drugs like fentanyl, xylazine, methamphetamine, um, but it's it's out in public. We used to go to you know 230 St. Paul is an address that's been talked about before, um, and it's been in the news. We would go there for overdoses within within apartments. And Kyle, what is xylazine? Xylazine is a is a new uh, drug. It's a it's a tranquilizer. Okay, is that I believe. Trank? Yeah, trank. It originally, I think, was used in the the veterinary industry for like horses and stuff. Yeah. It's now making its way into these poly substance um, drugs that people are using, which are causing huge problems for us. I can only imagine. Uh, let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yeah. Hi. Good morning. All. Uh, first of all, thank you too for your uh, service. It's very important. And uh, my my question is, apparently there's going to be a revamping in how how many people respond to different emergencies. Like a, a a full fire truck may not now show up for every overdose call or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I heard about that in the news, and I'm wondering if you could speak to how you are now differently uh, responding with maybe not so many people if it isn't a fire. Is a fire truck necessary and that sort of thing? Yeah. Could you 
Go ahead. To that, and I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank Kyle, you. tell us that we know that that was in the news recently, and you went to the city council, yep. and it sounds like it got approved. But tell us what, how it worked before, and what the change is. Right. So to, to prior to this CRT community response team, it's two two firefighters driving around in a pickup truck. Prior to that, every medical call that came in to us, we would dispatch a fire truck and an ambulance to. And why we did that is because we needed to ensure that we had an, uh, an appropriate number of firefighters on scene to mitigate any type of emergency that we got to. Um, we Dispatch is a, a big component of it. What we currently don't have is EMD, emergency medical dispatch, which allows for the triaging of these types of medical calls. So since we didn't have that, we would make sure we had enough bodies showing up on scene. So we would send a fire truck and an ambulance. What we were finding with these overdose um, and unresponsive call types that are, are sort of skyrocketing for us, that's not a sustainable model. No. We can't just keep sending a fire truck and an ambulance out the door, rushing downtown, rushing here, rushing there, showing up. The person just stands up and says, no, leave me alone. Get away. Uh, it's, it's wearing down the equipment. It's wearing down the personnel as well. So what we decided to do, uh, and the chief supported this, which was, was great, it was it was brought up by the membership. We stuck two individuals in a pickup truck. They have all the medical equipment they need if it's a true emergency, but they're triaging the calls. They respond immediately to the scene. They make contact with the patient or the caller, determine the level of medical emergency that's taking place, and then we go from there. If it's an overdose, they'll call for the ambulance. Ambulance shows up. We deal with it. If it's just an individual who is maybe sleeping or slightly intoxicated who doesn't need an ambulance... We check in on them, make sure they're okay, uh, give them some Narcan so they can have it on hand if they need it. And then we're on our way, they're on their way, and we didn't send, you know, close to a million dollars worth of apparatus flying down the road. And and it's a, it's a way to, like you said, you don't you didn't have a way to really triage the situation. Correct. So it's low, pro, well, I, when I say low profile, it's a pickup truck. It's not a fire engine and yep. an ambulance. Yep. So it, it's they can get in probably quicker, assess yeah. the situation. Yep. Once they're there, they say, "Hey, this we're going to need backup." They yep. can call you, but, absolutely. So it 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 seems to be far more a uh, more efficient and logical approach. It is, and really, what we found too is that sometimes the ambulance and the fire truck showing up actually cause a little bit more of an issue because it agitates people. It's a big fire truck. We got five people jumping off, rushing up to them, trying to figure out if they're okay. And if you're an individual that isn't really cool with having a lot of people in your personal space. Uh, two individuals carrying small backpacks, just tapping on your shoulder saying, Hey, how you doing? You doing okay? Yeah. Everything good. You're good. We're going to get out of your hair today. Have yeah. a great day. I want to bring Kathleen into this in just a minute, but first Kyle, um, what is the, you mentioned the reaction that you get. So if you go and I mean, we constantly hear people talking about people in city hall park that are shooting up drugs mm -hmm. or are laying there passed out out of it. I'm sure those are some of the calls that you're getting. Yep. What is the reaction? Are you, are you getting you're getting some anger from people that you're responding and and when do you when do you use Narcan versus the other? Um, yeah, Nar Narcan other Narcan for is going to be to reverse opiate overdoses, right? So what we're looking for is it's considered the opiate uh, triangle, uh, pinpoint pupils, decreased respirations, and unresponsive. They're not, they're not there. Our biggest concern with an opiate overdose is that they no longer have a respiratory drive. They stop breathing. So Narcan can help reverse that. We also uh, supplement them with some oxygen, breathe through them. When I first came on, when we were going to these overdoses, when people would come to, we gave them Narcan. They were almost shocked. We gave them Narcan. Oh no, that can't be like, uh, I wasn't breathing. They were, they were surprised. They were shocked. They were more willing to go to the hospital. Now uh, you're running into people who might've been had Narcan administered 
administered to them just earlier that very day. Um, and we're taking away um, their high. We're also taking away a substance from them that they're maybe utilizing to not feel sick. Withdrawals are a, are a terrible thing. We, we pick up people who are actively going through withdrawals. I wouldn't really wish, wish a withdrawal on my worst enemy uh, for what they go through. So we have the ability with Narcan sometimes to actually cause them pain a little bit. Um, so it's a fine line. We want to make sure they're breathing. They're not going to die. Uh, but it, we're walking a, a fine line on, on making sure they're okay. So that's why they're apprehensive about Narcan. Because I'm thinking, all right, why are they violent when they wake up? But you've taken away the high, uh, and um, potentially then you're going to put them into they're some gonna, kind of withdrawal. They might get sick, and, yeah. and they know that that feeling of sick is awful. And so they're immediately having to think about where can I go to find more of X, Y, and Z, so I don't feel sick. And that's frustrating for anyone to go through. So. We're, t- we're talking to Kyle Blake. He's the president of the Burlington Firefighters Association. And Kathleen Lamphere, who we're going to bring into this in just a minute, she is a senior firefighter, uh, 13 years, yep. 13 years of service, and is now on Ladder 4 in the Noon Earth End. You want to go to the phones? Let's go to the phones first. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yes, good morning. As uh, your guest just said, somebody's in uh, distress due to overdose, and you send an ambulance and a fire truck. When is somebody going to get some common sense and end this ridiculous practice of sending a million-dollar piece of equipment barreling well, down the crappy on, street? I'm, I'm going to just pot it down. If you'd listen to the second part of the conversation, he said that is just what they changed. They're no longer doing that. That's so... so we're, you're in agreement with the new policy, and that was a policy that it was that was how you responded. That was a policy of the department. Yeah, it's, previously, it's, it's a uh, yeah. Previously, we would we would send that that fire truck, that ambulance. I mean, we send that to every medical call historically because um, a lot of the older buildings also don't have elevators. So if we have someone who broke their foot on the fourth floor of a walk up, we have to carry them down. Um, there's a lot of reasons why we need people power on scene. And so that's why we send these. Um, but to the, to the caller's point, the call volume that we were seeing with these uh, suspected overdoses and unresponsive person calls, just we couldn't, we couldn't maintain that, that uh, tempo. So you no longer do it. You have like a triage vehicle that goes out. Yeah. And to yeah. be clear, this is a, I, I think the one thing that the membership was apprehensive about is this is an additional two positions Every single day, you know, seven days a week, 12 hours a day that is expected to be staffed. And we didn't see an increase in staffing. Whoa, so it's our, our current membership is is carrying this on their back as a pilot program to try to make this work and try to make it better. And Kathleen, let's bring you in now. Kathleen, you have uh, 13, you just said 13 years on the force, the fire department. Um, you're now in the new North End. Can you tell us about what you've seen, the changes that you've seen uh, with calls that you're responding to? Because you served in the center of the city before coming back to the New North End. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, just the, the higher volume, I think, of the overdoses and the, the transient population and the, the unhoused um, needing, you know, resources and support. And, yeah, it's just, it's it's different. I, you know, we all sign up for this job because we want to help people and we want to make a difference. And when you're you know, especially if you're stationed at one of the downtown stations, it's, um, you know, you sort of lose that feeling. It's, it's, you know, we might help somebody who is overdosing in a moment, but when 
they're not, you know, we're not, they're, they're not getting to the appropriate resource in the end to get the, the help that they need necessarily. Um, the emergency department isn't necessarily where they need to be. And so we're sort of losing that feeling of being able to help people, um, which is, you know, why I feel more, you know, I just, I feel happier out in the new North end where it's, where it's most of the majority of the call volume are, are for people that we are able to help. And it's, you know, it's more of the, the medical calls and where people were able to, you know, help them out and for any acute problem they're having and then bring them to the hospital and they get the help that they need. And, um, it's, it's, it became, for me, it became very overwhelming and, uh, sad, uh, depressing and kind of, you know, it's just, it's a little, it's, it's almost like demoralizing, you know, every day, just not being able to help that population. That's what I was going to ask you about how it impacts you as a firefighter having to deal with this. And by the way, welcome back to the new North end. We love having you on ladder four in Thank the new you. North end. Kurt's happy. Yeah. yeah. But uh, how you, you started to talk about that. And that's what I was going to ask you is what is the impact on you having, when you had to be down there dealing with these type of calls on a regular basis? I mean, and, have you talked to other firefighters who feel the same way? It's just, it takes its toll. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think for some people it, you know, takes longer to, to wear them down than others. Um, I think, you know, our, our current chief, one of the, you know, a mantra that he likes to, to, to sort of live by and he says often is uh, see a need, fill a need. And I think that what we were seeing downtown was, you know, we need more street outreach. We need more CSLs. It's, it's great that that resource is there, but we need more of it because, you know, we are calling, we, we go to some of these calls and, you know, like I said, the emergency department is, is not really where these people need to, to go to get the help that they need. Um, and we were finding that quite often the street outreach people um, or the, you know, CSLs just weren't available. Um, so we, you know, stepped up and said, okay, let's, let's dig deep and try and essentially that's what we're doing. Have you been concerned at times about your own safety and responding to these calls? So you've had to go without backup uh, from the Bronto police department. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I feel less safe. <laughs> uh, we always had, you know, we always had police backup on, on overdose calls or, you know, domestic situations and, you know, now, now we're finding that, um, we're having to, you know, either wait for, for, for their backup or, um, you know, just sort of go into situations, you know, knocking on car windows, um, without, without the police. And it's definitely, um, concerning. And have you experienced what Kyle was talking about where you respond and someone literally is, angry at you for for interceding where some you know obviously probably a citizen saw someone laying on the ground uh totally out of it um and and called and now i think kyle alluded to this that sometimes people are angry that you're that they are experiencing a high and that you're sort of ruining that for them or whatever is that is that what you're is that what you're sometimes running into yeah um yes sometimes um and there there are still the the call, like the, I, I think they understand that a lot of times that we're there to help, and you know somebody 
somebody called us and we might need to explain that to them. Um, but I, I do think that most of the time they're grateful that they're alive. Um, so. Kyle, can you put some, can you put a number to what are the numbers that we're looking at in terms of what it, what it used to be like in terms of the number of calls that you're responding to of medical distress in regard to drug use, opioids, fentanyl, et cetera. What are the numbers like what they used to be from a few years ago versus what you're seeing now? Oh, uh, the, the chief's definitely way better at this than I am because he runs all the reports, has all the data. Um, I think at the, at that city council meeting that I attended with, with chief Lachance, you know, he had the night, he had the graphs and everything. And I think we're double, uh, don't hold me to that, but I think we're double where we were from last year and we're not even done this year yet. The biggest number for us though, is we were, uh, I think 9,000 and change calls last year. Our trajectory is to be over 11,000 this year because of what we're seeing. The call volume is is just skyrocketing. Um, and to Kathleen's point as well, I think one thing we need to make abundantly clear is every single person that's struggling with substance use disorder or an addiction is not the catalyst to the problems that we're seeing. There's a small percentage of that population that is causing a high volume of issues for the fire department, for the police department, and the city. And so what's frustrating for us is when we get the siloed approach of it, we have to deal with it only being a public health issue. That's the only way to look at this. Or we only have to deal with it as an enforcement issue. We need to use both. We need to understand that a good population of these individuals truly do need help, are not causing issues. They just lack the support that they need. And we have a small portion of individuals just wreaking havoc downtown that we see multiple times a day. PD sees multiple times a day. If we need to treat these populations differently, we've got the people that need help, that need the support, and then we need, then we have the people that just need to be dealt with. All right. Well, we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, Kyle and Kathleen are going to stay with us for the next segment. We're going to check in with Fox News. Amanda's got the headlines. We've got the forecast, and we'll be back. Five on FM ninety six three and AM six twenty News Talk WVMT. We are back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Morning Drive, where we are continuing our discussion now with two firefighters in Burlington, and that is uh, Kyle Blake. He's the president of the Burlington Firefighters Association, and Kathleen Lamphere. She's a senior firefighter for 13 years on the force, and she's back in the New North End on Ladder 4. Um, Kyle, can you talk a little bit more about um, uh, the drug xylazine, and when is that used versus Narcan? And what's the reaction that people have to that? So to be clear, Narcan is something that we're using to reverse opiate right. overdoses. Xylazine, the way we're seeing it right now, is being illegally used by um, people taking drugs uh, in supplementing fentanyl and uh, and other things. So and the we're, street name is Trank. Trank, yeah. Uh, so it is uh, actually, originally, it was a horse tranquilizer. It is a, a sedative, a tranquilizer meant for animals. Whoever thought it was a great idea for people to start taking it or to start mixing it with fentanyl, I don't know who they are. I think uh, they're a horrible person, whoever decided that, yeah. though, uh, because of what it's doing to the population that we're, we're interacting with. 
the biggest concern that we have uh, with Trank xylazine on the streets is op- uh, Narcan does not reverse it. It acts similar to fentanyl in that it will reduce respiratory drive, but we don't have uh, an antidote to reverse that. What we have to do then, if we have someone who's overdosed on Trank, is to basically breathe for them. We do that with a, a BVM, a bag valve mask, and supplemental oxygen. But we have to breathe for them until we get them to definitive care up at the wow. hospital. How do you oh know God. when you approach somebody that you've been called in their dis- medical distress that they've been using xylazine? We don't. We don't. We have no good way of really knowing what substances they're on. We we do an assessment. We look. I, I talked about it earlier, that opiate triangle, uh, pinpoint pupils. If we're seeing that, we will give Narcan. If the Narcan does not work, does not reverse it, does not you know bring that back that respiratory drive, we're going to start thinking that it's, it's xylazine. And the treatment's the same, though. We're going to breathe for them, and we're going to bring them up to the hospital. Uh, but xylazine is a new, a new animal. Um, part of what the CRT does also is they do some community outreach. They go interact with this population, introduce themselves. But we have what are called leave-behind kits. When we go to an overdose and we reverse it, anytime we're doing one of these leave-behind kits, it's got Narcan in it, it's got fentanyl test strips, and it's got um, ways to connect with city services. Fentanyl test strips, honestly, at this point, are kind of like, why Why are we handing them out? Everything has fentanyl in them. No longer are the days where people are actually scared of fentanyl. They're actually looking for it. Xylazine is the new thing, and that's what we're hopefully going to be seeing is these xylazine test strips where people can determine, hey, this maybe I don't want to take this. And is xylazine the one where the, sometimes the skin starts to peel off? Yeah, we're seeing uh, one of the side effects of it is uh, open sores that will just sort of sprout up on the body uh, not even where they're injecting, but they could just, you know, they could get a sore on their back, on their ankle, on their leg. And my understanding is that doctors really aren't sure why this is happening yet. It's just a side effect. So wound care is becoming a big issue as well, because when you have open sores, oh, yeah. you're more susceptible to to get sick, to get ill, to, you know, so it's bad. It's not good. Xylazine, horrible. Yeah, no kidding. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi, good morning. Kyle, you started this interview off by making it clear that you're speaking for the union today. Can you explain the benefit to the union, to, this, to the taxpayers of the city? I'm a retired union contractor, and skilled trades are very important, and I don't know where else you would find the training for people in your profession unless there was a union, because uh, i got to believe you must be providing some training. But just curious where that training comes from. And the other thing I'd like to say is, is there a charge to these people for Narcan shots that save their lives? Because I don't think you give free EpiPens out for people, and I don't think chemotherapy is free for people. I mean, these are life-saving devices, so I don't agree with the Narcan at all. But I was just curious what value the union provides for the city, and I'm sure it's tremendous because, like I said, you're a skilled trade operation. You're not a public union that a bunch of pencil paper pushers sitting around. You guys have very important jobs. So I'd just like to hear what value you present to the city yeah absolutely well first of all thank you uh, appreciate it uh as far as the union goes we represent uh the men and women of the burlington fire department from the the rank of uh firefighter one which is when you come in the door after you finished your probationary year up through the rank of captain uh once you promote uh to the battalion chief rank you're outside of the union but we represent the men and women um that are on the front lines of the the fire department and responding to all the calls uh, we negotiate uh, for our contract, which is wages, benefits, working conditions. We're making sure that uh, every member has the safety equipment they need 
in order to do the job and be safe. And we're very fortunate in the city of Burlington that we have a great working relationship with the uh, department administration as well as the city administration as well. We butt heads at times. Of course we do. Uh, we want things that sometimes they don't agree with. But overall, we're very fortunate. We have good fire trucks. Everybody uh, has two sets of, of firefighting gear, which is important, especially with the carcinogens now that we're dealing with, uh, the higher levels of cancer. Uh, so we're fortunate. The union, uh, the union's there, though, when something's not going right, to sort of step in and say, hey, uh, we need to take a look at this. As far as Narcan goes, uh, no, we do not bill for that. Um, we bill for transports to the, to the hospital, and that typically goes through medical insurance uh, first and foremost. EpiPens, uh, if you're having anaphylaxis and we show up and we administer an EpiPen and you're fine and you stay at home, we're not charging for that either. Um, and, and we don't do, we don't administer chemotherapy. But Narcan, Narcan, not very expensive, excuse me. Um, and it, it saves lives. And I think at the end of the day, we need to be, we need to be aware that these are, these are other human beings that we're responding to. And we might not always agree with the decisions they're making or their behavior. Uh, but when we have the opportunity to prevent someone from dying, we are absolutely going to do that every single time. Yeah, I want to ask about uh, the use of Narcan. Is it safe enough so if you accidentally use it and someone's not overdosing? Yeah. Because, you know, it's available now for businesses. That's yep. a big thing. A lot of private businesses have Narcan on hand. Yep. And I've been advised, we should have Narcan. I'm like, Rrr. I don't know. Can you hurt somebody by administering it the wrong way? No, not really. Uh, Narcan is the type of thing where it's it's acting on the opiate receptors. Uh, so your body has receptors that uh, when you take an opiate, they bond to them. They give you the desired effect. Narcan goes into the system and displaces. It blocks those receptors from the opiate from being able to land. It's simply and, an and opiate its, yeah. blocker. So well, if you don't have opiates in your system. Correct. The risk would be putting someone into overdose or if potentially someone is utilizing opiates for like severe pain management um, and you've given them Narcan, that would really, but they're going to experience pain, but it, it's better that they're alive and they're breathing. Got it. To give Narcan, the biggest reason we're giving Narcan is the person is not breathing or does not have a respiratory drive to support life. They're turning yeah. blue. They're not breathing. That's our biggest concern. Mm -hmm. Someone who's just unresponsive on the street, um, well, it's it's sort of weird to see someone laying there. We're, we're not worried about them dying right at that point. It's the, if they're... If they're breathing, if they're breathing. You walk up to somebody yeah. and they're breathing yep. and they're not they're they're not literally going to just sit there and suffocate. Yep. Then Exactly. We'll still give them Narcan to try to wake them up. We'll give them some supplemental oxygen. But what we do is called titrate to effect. So we give them a little bit, see if it gives their desired response, give them a little bit more. We're not showing up and just, you know, pushing into an entire vial. What is the uh, first thing that you do when you arrive on the scene? First thing we do is, is uh, try to make contact with them and just see what's going on. Um, you know, give them a little shake. First, we start verbal. Hey, how's it going? No response. Give them a little shake, tap on the shoulder. Um, if that doesn't work, we use what is called, um, you know, painful stimulus, which is basically just taking your knuckles, rubbing it on someone's sternum, maybe pinching them on the trap just to see if that elicits a response. Um, if that does, uh, but they're still not coming to. Then you sort of go down the, okay, are we going to give them a little Narcan? Maybe we'll just give them a little oxygen because that will help. Uh, we try to start with the least invasive and move more towards the invasive uh, procedures. Um, with the most, one of the most invasive things for us is going to be you know, starting an IV out in the street or putting it in an airway to protect them if, they're, if they really can't support their own breathing. You Again, you mentioned, to go back to what you talked about earlier, that sometimes people 
are angry when they come mm-hmm. out of this. Yep. Um, how often does that happen? And have you been, have you had someone come out and literally attack the firefighter that's responding? Uh, it's happening more than, than we've ever seen it before. Usually it's just verbal though. It's a lot of anger being spouted at us, uh, big dramatic movements, but no one has been like violently attacked yet. Um, I've, I've had an individual come to the station, uh, was talking to us and basically said, if you ever give me Narcan again, you better be ready for a fight. And it's like, what, what, what am I Thanks supposed for to do? saving my life? Well, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, I have a job to do. People are calling because they see you unresponsive. We show up and you're not breathing. I'm going to have to give you Narcan. So, you know, you asked Kathleen earlier, does it take a, ta- a, a wear on an individual? It does. Because now when I show up and I see that individual not breathing, overdosed, I know I'm going to have to give them Narcan. I am going to give them Narcan. But I got to be ready to maybe take a, a punch to the face. And it's just like, that's ridiculous. No one, no one should be thinking about having to, to suffer physical harm as a result of doing their job. I've heard the term used, compression fatigue. Compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. Yep. What is, can you describe, uh, both of you, tell, what does that mean to you? You talk about compassion fatigue. Kathleen? Uh, I'll, I'll take a uh, stab at it and Kathleen can jump in and, and fill in. Um, for us, compassion fatigue is, is the sort of that feeling of, of defeat of we are out there. We're compassionate people. We want to help people. We want to see success. We want to see, like Kathleen said, and one of the biggest reasons why she went back out to the new North end, when she goes on a medical call out there, typically it's an acute issue. It's a maybe a broken arm, pneumonia, uh, a cardiac related issue. They get on scene. They they um, assess the patient. They start treating the patient. Load them into the ambulance. Bring them up to the hospital. That person gets the care that they need. They might Kathleen might run into that person at at Hannaford's the next week, and they say, "Oh, thank you so much. I feel so much better. That was great. That's what I needed." And you feel like I did something. Um, what's happening in the, where the compassion fatigue is coming from is we're going to these calls. We're seeing these people struggling in pain, hurting, not well, and we're trying to do what we know to do. And it leads to nothing. Uh, I heard someone put it really well the other day. It's you have a, an internal ATM, um, of compassion or of care of, of desire to help. And if the withdrawals start to happen more often than the deposits, you're going to go bankrupt. And so those deposits are the cardiac arrest that we worked. And now someone's grandpa is still attending their birthday. It's the overdose that we successfully reversed. And the person then goes and gets definitive care. It's the small baby that was delivered at home that we helped bring to the hospital. Those are the deposits for us. That's what makes us feel like we're helping. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But when you're showing up to these calls where the people get up, run away, tell you to, to beat it, they don't want you, and or you see the same person seven times in one shift because you brought them to the hospital, they left against medical direction, and they want to go right back up again seven times. Seven times in one shift. Those are the, withdraw- those are the withdrawals from your ATM, and you're never going to be able to, to, do, to put in enough deposits anymore. Talk a little bit about the relationship with the hospital. I mean, it, it's got to be frustrating for them to, on the receiving end. How does it uh, – I, uh, I, I can't imagine that they're, they're too receptive to have all this action. 
No, no. The the emergency department up at the hospital is is uh, going through it as well. Um, yeah. I know the the nurses union up there has been very vocal about employee safety. Um, we have two of our our members. One of our one of them is a former member now. They both have spouses that are um, emergency department nurses. They both been assaulted up there. One of them had her nose broken by being punched in the face. Mm. Um, it's an environment that is stressful, um, and they're not equipped to handle. Um, well, I'm thinking about the stress of this person mm-hmm. who's not very happy. They're mm-hmm. in an ambulance going to the hospital. Yeah. Then you leave them at the hospital. The hospital's yeah. got to deal with them. Yeah. I mean, what do you, I know that this is completely out of your control, but what would you vision a place? Is there a place that you envision that, that people in this kind of distress could go uh, as opposed to the hospital? Uh, on, I, honestly, that, that that's a tough one because there's a, there's a, a ton of different complaints on why people are interacting with us to go to the hospital like that person that we interacted with seven you know seven times and to be to be clear right now a shift for us is 48 hours um so seven times in a 48 hour well, period I thought it was 12 hours i was like okay oh my no God. no that's no. still a lot yeah but, okay. yeah but i mean that's we see some people once in their entire lifetime but we're right. seeing you know uh, but the medical complaints are different. Sometimes it's going to be for a, a hurt ankle. And it's like, we, we know your ankle's not hurt. You, you just walked from the hospital all the way down here. Uh, other times it's for chest pain. It, it, it is what it is. We transport them up there. Um, mental health is, I think, what we could say is really lacking. The support for mental health. I mean, there's no more state hospital, is my understanding. I think UVM has limited capacities with mental health uh, resources up there. A lot of the issues that we're dealing with, whether it be um, drug-related or just chronic users of the system, are mental health-related. And that is what we need to see more support in, probably. And Kathleen, I think you, you wanted to jump in on that. Yeah, I just I think that was a really interesting analogy that Kyle just made with the with the ATM machine. And um, that's, you know, it's one of the reasons that I am so concerned about the state that we're in right now um, is that, you know, being a member for 13 years, it's it's I've had a lot of deposits made. You know, I've had a lot of really great interactions and, um, you know, life saving interventions and, and helped a lot of people and, you know, been through a lot of things and i see some of our newer members where they've only been on the department for two three four years where the bulk of their experience has been you know what what we're talking about and withdrawals yeah withdrawals right 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 and um and it's really sad for me that they view this job in a different light than i do and they and they don't I don't think that they understand or they don't they haven't had the opportunity to to learn about how great of a job that it really is and how fulfilling that it really can be. And a lot of these people are they're they're leaving and they're choosing to do other things um, over the last few years. That's where a lot of our retention problems have come from. And so it's really sad for me to just to hear people talk about, you know, that that we're, you know, we're not making a difference and we're not doing because of what for the new firefighters it's because of what they're seeing in downtown Burlington in recent days. Right. Right. That's been the majority of their experience. And it's, you know, and so, you know, while I think it's a good thing that we're 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 putting this CRT team on the road to, to fill that need right now, it's, you know. 
we're not we're not mental health professionals. Um, you know, I, I don't think we are the most appropriate resource, but it needed to be done and someone needed to do it. So we're we're trying it out. And but, at, you know, at the end of the day, what what we're trained to do is, you know, emergency medicine and and fight fires and um, actually fight fire sometimes. Yeah. 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 Occasionally. So. Right, let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, folks. Uh, just a, a general observation on compassion fatigue. That extends not only to the EMTs, but it also extends to everybody in, in our society. And it's getting to the point with this stuff where, like the belligerent ones that come out of their high and make comments like that, uh, it's to the point where people are just saying, give them a Dr. Kevorkian solution. You know, there, there's got to be uh, something to uh, really put the light on them and uh, turn them so that they understand that it's, it's just time. We've got, we get no information from them as far as the source of the drugs. We get no uh, support from our legislatures, our district attorneys, probably even some of the uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, and medical professionals at the hospital uh, to provide an alternative solution uh, that... Okay, time's time's growing short. Thank you. If I could just jump on that real quick, I think what's if I can leave you know this interview with a message, it's that there is a very small percentage of the population that we interact with that is causing a majority of these problems. We deal, we interact with a lot of good people who are just in a really tough spot in their life because they don't have housing, they don't have a job. Um, they're dealing with mental health stuff, but they're not out there stealing, vandalizing, threatening. We have a small population within Burlington that's causing a majority of the problems. And that's where a lot of the focus I think needs to be on is addressing those individuals and not, not causing or not allowing things to be tried to help the other group because we're like, no, these people are horrible. That's a small, small percentage of it, and we need to have a two-pronged approach, one to deal with the troublemakers, and then another way to help support, which is what the CRT is sort of trying to do, support the individuals that are just down on their luck and and need a little boost to get back. And Kathleen, you wanted to jump in on that one? Yeah, I just I think we also need to start focusing more on prevention. You know, I think when you see commercials on TV for um, test strips and Narcan, it's like, I, you know... what what message is that sending to to kids and younger people? It's like, I think we need to go back to the eighties where it's like, this is your brain on drugs, you yeah. know, and, and show these people what the effects of xylazine are and heroin yeah. are. And because the, the fact is that unfortunately, once somebody is in that cycle, it's it's recovery from that addiction is so difficult. And uh, that we, we just need to focus on, you know, cutting off the supply or yeah. just, prevention really i'm not really expecting you necessarily to have the answer to this but it's just something that i've tried to i've wondered about and i've asked people city leaders etc which is where is this explosion coming from do you when you see people are you seeing that this is does it seem to be new people that have come to burlington or is it people that you think have been in the area for a long long time both it's both. both yeah i think this was a what we're seeing is a perfect storm you know uh we saw a 
a movement that, right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, led to a reduction in the police officers out there for the enforcement capacity of it. We hit uh, COVID, which caused a, a ton of problems. We have a lack of mental health resources. We have housing that is extremely limited. And we have inflation going up through the roof where everything's so expensive. Like, it's the perfect storm that's causing this explosion of the issues that we're dealing with. And like Kathleen sort of said, real quick, the CRT is not supposed to be the solution to this. It's a sort of a stopgap to try to hold back this tide. Well, the city departments that are better equipped, uh, like CEDO, like um, the CSLs, can sort of build their resources and go out and start doing the definitive care that this population needs. We're essentially out of time. Uh, one last, if you can give me a quick answer to this, I don't know if you can, but I know ketamine was something that was controversial. There was a controversy about the use of that at one mm-hmm. time. When is that used or is that almost never used? And what uh, is it used for? Ketamine was used for uh, basically sedating people, whether they were in extreme pain or extremely combative. It was utilized for that. Um, neither one of us are paramedics. That's a paramedic level drug. My understanding is that they're sort of moving towards uh, another one now because of the concerns that nationally ketamine sort of started that that could probably be a whole hour yeah. uh, on its own but it is used by the department uh infrequently though to help control pain or combative patients but not as much kyle blake uh president of the Burlington firefighters association and kathleen lanfear who is a 13-year veteran senior veteran uh, of the Burlington fire department on ladder four in the new north end Thanks for everything you're doing. We really appreciate it. And we understand what you're, you're although we, we probably can't quite imagine it, but we understand what you're going through with all this, too. We always love the opportunity. Thank you for having us. And, you know, we started the show saying, if you're interested in the job in the fire department in January, we're going to have an open application process. So keep your eyes open. Do you think, uh, real quick, yep. the, will the Firefighters Union uh, be doing an endorsement, do you think, in the mayor's race? Too early to say, Kurt. All right. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. We're going to take a quick break, check in with ABC News. Uh, Amanda's got the headlines. We got the forecast for you, and we're going to talk to Rich Fields. Uh, He was at the Price is Right for years.